The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, today our show is about decency and what is decency. And the name of the book that I've just been reading is called Decency Wars. And it's by Frederick Lane, who we've had on our show before about a couple of his other books. So we're thrilled to have him back. And let me tell you, if you didn't get to hear him before, he's brilliant. Let me tell you a little bit about his background. Frederick Lane is a nationally recognized expert on privacy and the impact of emerging technologies on society. He's an author, an attorney, educational consultant, expert witness, and a lecturer. Fred has written nine books, eight books, including Cyber Traps for Educators, Cyber Traps for the Young, and American Privacy, the 400-Year History of Our Most Contested Right, which we've talked about before. But today we're going to talk about The Decency Wars, which is another book that he wrote that's becoming a huge issue. Now, during the course of his writing career, he's appeared as a guest on a variety of national media programs, including Comedy Central's The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, ABC's Nighttime, Nightline, and Good Morning America Weekend, CBS's 60 Minutes, and Sunday Morning with Charles Osgood, NBC's Today Show, and Weekend Today. Also, he's been on local TV and radio shows, and of course, he's been on our show before. So we're just thrilled to have him back, and he is coming to us all the way from the beautiful state of Vermont on the East Coast. So we're so thrilled. And you can find out more about him at our website at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy, where you'll see his picture and his bio and the JPEG of his book and his link to his website, which is Frederick Lane, that's F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C-K Lane, L-A-N-E dot com. And so, Fred, thanks so much for joining us again. We're thrilled to have you back. Well, thanks so much, Marie. I love being on the show, so I appreciate it. All right. So, you know, I'm, I started reading The Decency Wars, and I found it was fascinating. So what inspired you to write this book? Well, <laughs> it's actually a fun story. It goes back a little bit uh, ways in our, our media history, but 
Many of your listeners, no doubt, will remember the 2004 Super Bowl, which featured that uh, notorious halftime show between or, or with Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake. Right. And for those who <laughs> have forgotten the whole thing, that obviously involved the situation where Justin Timberlake reached over and pulled off part of Janet Jackson's uh, outfit and you know revealed part of her breast, and so the FCC went ballistic about that. Uh, there was all kinds of uproar and investigations and so forth, and I was really interested in the reaction of the government to what took place because it seemed to me to be very heavy-handed given what had occurred and how brief it actually was. And as I began to research it, it was clear to me that this was a long-running battle that had been occurring in American society. Yes, yes. And it wasn't like it was intentional. It was a, it was a, you know, a mistake, right? I mean, she didn't mean for that to happen. Well, you know, there's there's a lot of debate <laughs> about that actually. And um I think that that my conclusion in the end was that the thing probably was staged. Uh-huh. Um certainly her her outfit was designed to pull away that way. Yeah. And yeah. uh whether or not she was um wearing perhaps a little bit more jewelry than the average person might <laughs> um, suggested that, that you know perhaps she was anticipating that something like this would happen so wow. in any case that's you know uh, whether or not you know of course that seems so mild compared to what's going on today you know 11 years <laughs> later but um, you know certainly the, the the core of the story was much more about how people reacted to what happened it's always in the reaction i think that's right interesting yeah yeah and the fcc's reaction so yeah yeah, so you know what about decency what is decency and how does it you know i mean decency in 1800s is pretty different from decency now so what is decency well that's a that's a great opening question really because you know i think that we struggle with that in our society that you know, we want, you know, we often hear people say, you know, it's important that we live in a decent society. The problem we run into is that, you know, as you know full well, anytime you're talking about morality, mm. which is basically what decency is, everybody brings a slightly different definition to mm-hmm. the discussion. And I think ultimately that was the conclusion I was trying to. Um, have people reach when they read the decency wars in that if we're going to have a debate about decency, it's important that that the conclusion about what is decent be reached within the individual households and that it's not really effective to ask either the federal or the state government to impose this vague concept of decency because it's too varied. You know, and ideally, we will get a decent society out of the decent behavior of each of us, you know, without the government having to tell us what to do. Unlike Saudi Arabia, right? Or <laughs> <laughs> Right. Saudi Arabia, Egypt, you know, take your, your pick of the Middle Eastern nations. Syria, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's very complicated. And I think, you know, ultimately, the the other point that people need to absorb when they're talking about this is that, Honestly, you know, technology, and I'm sure we'll get to this in a little bit, but technology is really um, eliminating the ability of totalitarian governments 
to impose a single definition of decency. Right. It's just too complicated. Of course, if you um, are in Saudi Arabia and you don't cover your head and you want to drive a car and you wear a short skirt, you might be stoned to death. <laughs> it's remarkable or beheaded or any number right. of other things. No, it's, right. it's really, really a shame. I, yeah. I, yeah, I and, agree. And it's kind of scary because if you want to travel... You know, just, you know, knowing the mores and knowing the difference between what's decent in our country versus what's decent in another country. Even, you know, even going into a a church in Italy, you're going to find that um, you're going to be scorned if you wear what you wear walking down the street there. (laughs) <laughs> right? Right. No, no question about it. So, you know, I think you're underscoring, Marie, just how difficult this all is. And so when people read through the decency wars, you know, one of the things I hope they will take away from it is that it's not just cultural differences around the world, but literally within the United States, we've had shifting ideas of decency, right? You know, which underscores the fact that there's no absolute here. Even the U.S. Supreme Court said that they'll, they'll um, what is pornography? Well, you know it when you see it. <laughs> that was the definition, right. right? You know it when you see it. That's so, right, which means that they can't really write out a rule that will be clear to all of us. Exactly. So in this book, you have several topics that you cover in the book with regard to decency. Want to tell us about some of those topics? Well, sure. I, I think that you know one of the things that I think people will enjoy about this particular book is that there's a, a historical approach which walks people through the way in which we've dealt with various decency topics, you know, throughout our history. So one of my favorite aspects of that, of course, is looking at how television and radio have influenced um, our definitions of decency. And that, of course, raises the whole issue of the FCC, which we were just talking about. Right. Movies, movies are interesting um, because when you look at the development of the movie industry, there was actually a period in the 1920s, early 1930s, where there was a relatively um, large amount of nudity in the movies that were available. And it caused quite a social outcry because obviously, you know, society was very different than it is today. And so in that particular case, rather than having the government come in and impose standards, the industry itself formed the MPAA, which still is in place today to try to um, give consumers guidance about what rating a movie has, you know, how much violence yeah, is there, yeah. how much bad language, things like that. Right, right. Now, obviously, those standards have changed over time as well. On the radio and television side, which is interesting, you know, there the government has played a more active role because the theory is that radio and television is broadcast over a limited resource, the airwaves that we have. Um, because you have to use a specific frequency in order to send out your content. So that, given the fact that the government licenses those frequencies, that gives the government the authority to impose standards about what can and can't be broadcast. 
I know as a as a DJ or a host, you know, I, there are seven dirty words that I can't say. <laughs> and I won't tell you what they are because I don't want our, our KUCI to lose its license. But that's one of the things when you take your test to be a, a DJ host, you have to know what are the seven dirty words <laughs> not to say and what you can say and what you can't say so that, you know, so that we don't lose our license. So you're right. It, it, it is kind of funny because you're going to see those words all the time in the movies. <laughs> hear, I mean, well, hear the, them. In the movies, certainly. And then, yeah. and Lord, Lord knows on the internet, Marie, right? I oh, mean, it's, yeah. It is a whole different world. Well, and I don't think we should go past this, this particular item without giving a, a bit of a shout-out to the great comedian George Carlin, um, who was actually kind of making fun of the FCC and, and their restrictions when he did his his routine about the seven dirty words. Right, right. And, and the problem was, and this was back in 1973, I think, yeah. the, the problem was that his broadcast was on in the afternoon, and there was a dad who was driving his son home from school, mm. and they were flipping through the radio channels, <laughs> and they heard that. Right. And, and it was actually just one person who complained. And and that dad kind of set everything in motion. So that's why you can't say those words. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I remember as a kid watching I Love Lucy and and seeing how uh, Ricky and uh, and Lucy never slept in the same. You know, they had the two beds, right? Right. And and you never you couldn't see that. And and how you know just kind of interesting how that would have been such an outrage for them to have a king size bed, even though they weren't sleeping in it. <laughs> That's right. Well, and, and then, of course, you know, it's a slightly different technology, and this is relevant to our discussion. But think about the things that are on cable television, like HBO yeah. or Showtunes or... Showtime, or, yeah. Whatever, or, or, or even streaming services like Netflix, you know, with House of Cards. So, you know, some people may wonder, and I, I've, I've had this question before, which is, well, if, if the FCC can regulate television... Why don't they regulate cable? Right. And, you know, the answer really to that is that uh, there's two answers. Number one, cable doesn't use uh, television frequencies. Mm. So it's a different technology. It's being delivered directly from the cable companies to the consumer's home. And then the other significant piece of this, and, you know, this gets you know back to the old saying that, that sex sells, is that consumers purchase cable television. So the assumption is that they know what they're buying. I see, and yeah. Be- because, they, because they enter into a contractual agreement with the cable company, the government has no, you know, no influence with respect to what's being shown. Um, mm. Now, even so, you, know, you mentioned the, the Daily Show, which I had a chance to do a few years ago. Even though that is a cable program they would still bleep out obviously the things that john stewart and stephen colbert and so forth would say even though legally they they technically didn't have to do that hmm. interesting <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right well i assume their lawyers told them look it'll just be easier <laughs> yes yeah let's not let's not cause a ruckus here right exactly 
We're speaking with Frederick Lane, who is a nationally recognized expert on privacy and the impact of emerging technologies on society. And we're talking about his book called The Decency Wars and trying to find out what is decency. And I'm sure it's very different from, you know, the students who are on campus here listening versus the the uh, people who are driving by and, you know, how they see decency. And I just remember how when I was growing up in the 60s, how my parents saw decency, and oh my goodness, it was very different than the way I saw it, and the way <laughs> my kids see it. So it's a, it's a generational thing as well. So when did people first start becoming concerned about decency in, in our society? Well, really, um, if, you, if you take a look at it, honestly, the battles over decency, Murray, have been throughout our entire history. Um, I don't think that there's ever been a period in, in United States history where somebody somewhere hasn't been worried that someone else was having too much fun, because that's really a good chunk of what it is. Um, you know, one of the things that I tried to do with this book was to look at the motivations of the folks who helped to found the country in different parts of the country, right. and then over a period of time, you know, Skipping over a little bit, you know, kind of the 19th century, but really things got underway in this in the in the 20th century and now into the 21st. I think that from my perspective, the the biggest development in all of this, you know, putting aside the Puritans, who are kind of fun to to chat about, but the the biggest development was in the 1950s when you began to see the rise of um, evangelical Christianity. Mm, yeah, religion. One, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, one of the things that was motivating them were concerns about decency broadly in society. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, that played into the election of Ronald Reagan in 1980. And there was a real expectation on the part of um, religious and social conservatives that their payback would be a much more aggressive uh, Justice Department, mm. which would attempt to, you know, ideally in their view, would attempt to get many, many more obscenity prosecutions and crack down on some of the things on television, which mm. really, um, to a large extent, never materialized. Yeah, so it does seem like religion has a huge impact. I mean, when we talk about Islam, when we were talking a few minutes ago about Syria and Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and, you know, the Muslim countries, um, there is a lot to do with religion and religion's mores versus the, you know, the the non-religious societies. that's that's right, and and so, you know, when you think about who is really pushing the FCC, for instance, to clean up the language on the airwaves, or where the complaints came from when Janet Jackson's breast was exposed, or you know who is protesting against the content that's on the internet, uh, generally speaking, yes, religious organizations are at the forefront of that. And, you know, actually, it's interesting. One of the things I discovered when I was uh, researching writing this book is that many of these organizations had basically automated the complaint process to Mm. the FCC. So that, you know, for instance, with the Janet Jackson thing, I think within a week or so, the FCC had received over a half million complaints Uh from around, 
the United yeah. States. Now, keep in mind that millions upon millions of people were watching that football game. Right. So, in percentage terms, the number of people who said that they were offended was actually quite low. Um, but still, you know, half a million is, is a real number. And they were the loud ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so That's in, right. And, and, you know, from a First Amendment perspective, um, how do we regulate decency without violating that First Amendment? That's kind of a balancing act, isn't it? It really is a balancing act. And, you know, actually, that's that's a useful story for people to uh, be aware of, because in 1996, um, well, just as a little bit of background, the World Wide Web was invented in the mid-1980s by Timothy Berners-Lee in, in Switzerland. But it really didn't take off until 1993-94 when um, the first uh, web browser, uh, which was um, <laughs> blanking for a second, uh, was, was a Netscape. That's right. Uh-huh. The Netscape browser was released in, I think, 93. And once you could see the World Wide Web and everything on a single page, images, text, etc., then it became much more usable and people flocked to it. I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of thousands of websites were set up between 93 and 95. It was absolutely ex- explosive period of growth. Well, one of the things that happened, not surprisingly, is that people who produce and distribute adult materials glommed onto the web as a way of you know, submi- uh, distributing content. And Congress really flipped out about that. They really grew immensely concerned that you know, the only thing you could find on the Internet was indecent material. Right, so they, right. pa- they passed the Communications Decency Act of 1996, and in that law, they actually tried to make it a felony to distribute um, indecent material. And so... That ended up going to the Supreme Court very quickly, actually, the next summer. And the Supreme Court, under William Rehnquist, which is really remarkable, voted nine to nothing that the law was unconstitutional. Right. So basically what the Supreme Court was saying is, you can't, you can't make distribution of indecency a crime because it's too vague. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. So what, you know, what the Supreme Court has said, of course, is that if something's obscene, which is basically, right. I'm, I'm really summarizing here, but if it's a violation of contemporary community standards as declared by a jury, then you lose your First Amendment protection. And then there's obviously you know things like child pornography, which are just outright obscenity, and therefore right, right. you know you know have no First Amendment. So anyway, the upshot of it is basically that you know people have tried to ban indecent materials, but the First Amendment protects them. Yes. Because, you know, you need to have some reasonable standard for limiting speech. Yeah, the whole issue of sexting and, um, <laughs> you know, that, you know, that yeah. among young people, I mean, that in itself is a, is a huge issue of kids voluntarily, you know, sending each other um, pictures of their private parts. But then, you know, revenge porn becomes yep. a whole nother yep. issue which we are trying to regulate, right? Yes, yes. 
and there it's um, it's not really being done on speech grounds, right? Um, you know, there's probably some some attorney at some point will make an interesting argument that you know basically it's it's a distribution of speech and therefore protected. But the problem for people who set up these revenge porn websites is that they don't actually have the rights to the content. You know, mm-hmm. so they're they're basically stealing the content number one. And then secondly, they're engaging in intentional infliction of emotional distress, arguably. And then on top of all of that, there's issues of extortion. Um, right, extortion, <laughs> fraud, all the rest of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Actually, we have we have uh, California law actually deals with that now. That it's right. And and what was it? The guy who had the most famous site just was sentenced, I think, to 18 years in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I think that's a great thing. I, he was a absolutely heinous actor. So right, uh, right. Um, but but, but you know, even that's, even that's even a, the sexting, you know, ahead. of the young people is, you know, is that considered, you know, a t- <laughs> decent right now for these young people be doing that? <laughs> I mean, oh my God, I, I don't even think my kids would be doing that. But they're already older, you know. They're one is sure. twenty nine well, and the other is thirty four. But it scares me for these young yeah. people, and especially you. You're on a school board, aren't you? Well, no, I used to be, and actually, yeah. that was the one minor correction I was going to offer uh-huh. is that I moved down to Brooklyn a uh, a couple of years ago, so I'm actually oh. based down in New York City. Oh, you're in New York. And okay, well, that's different from Vermont, then. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is, but I was on a school board for ten years, right? And we we did start to see this problem arising. As a matter of fact, I I worked a little bit with the Vermont legislature on how to adjust the child pornography laws in Vermont. So that, you know, kids who engaged in this behavior weren't being prosecuted as child pornographers, which technically under the law they, they are. They are, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, they're taking photos of an individual, even if it's themselves, who's under the age of 18. So if the image is nude or lewd or what have you, then, yes, they can be, and some kids have been prosecuted as child pornographers, which obviously was not the intent of the law whatsoever. No. Um but sometimes prosecutors take a very hard stance on this. From a decency point of view, though, Marie, I think the interesting conversation is what is the Internet doing to our general sense of yeah. decency and morality? Right. And, you know, when we talk about kids, you know, we have two issues. We have their access to technology, like smartphones, right. you know, which lets them take those photos. And on top of that, they've got access to the adult materials on the Internet. Right. Because we've never figured out a way to do effective age verification. Right, right. Huh. Even though we have yeah. COPA, I mean, you know, that doesn't do much. You know, it, it's trying to just help kids in some ways, but not really, you know. So I think we are in a age where um, decency is all over the place. You know, <laughs> Indecency is, and so is decency, right? Right. Yeah, no, it's it's very hard because I think that parents grapple with these issues. Um, you know, certainly religion is not a, as big a part of our society as it used to be. You know, schools are basically trying to keep up with the common core, let alone these broader 
issues of morality and decency, which many parents are uncomfortable with schools teaching to begin with. So, right, right. Um, you know, the question really, I think, that we are going to have to confront at some point is, you know, where do we get our generally accepted social mores? Mm-hmm. And I don't know that there's an easy answer to that. I really don't. I don't either, but it's a fascinating subject. Well, we are just about out of time. Just tell me for one second here. I know you were, um, you know, you discussed your book with John Stewart. And just tell me, how was that? Was that fun? <laughs> <laughs> it was It was absolutely terrific. Um, you know, it's, it's been my one brush with, uh, you know, kind of, B-level fame where they send a car and there's a little swag bag in the mm. room and stuff like that. But, you know, the thing is that, that John Stewart is just as smart and funny in person as he is on camera and just very gracious, a pleasure to speak with. Um, you know, that, that, that kind of thing is an absolute bolt of lightning. You know, it's like winning the lottery to yeah. you know, have your book pulled out of the pile that week. Absolutely. Well, you know, it has it has a a sexy name, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the decency wars by Prometheus Books, and we've been just, we're just out of time. So, Frederick Lane, you're wonderful. We'd love to always have you on. Why don't you just give your website, and it's time to go. That sounds great, Marie. My website is fredericlane.com. That's F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C-K-L-A-N-E. And uh, people can find out about my books there. Oh, great. And you know what? When I go to New York City to visit my son, I'll look you up. You'll have to give me your new your new address. I have your phone number, so we're, we're ready to talk, okay? That, that's fabulous. I will be happy to do that. Okay. Take care, Fred. You Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.